This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we are looking tonight at verses 23 through 29 particularly uh, 24, 25, and 26. Looking at Moses tonight, you'll notice that um, several things are ascribed to Moses by faith, uh, some more personal to him, some more involving his surroundings, his environment, events, big-scale big events. Uh, so let's uh, look tonight then at Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Hear the word of God. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, where he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Father, open to us in this late hour of the day the truths and the riches of your word. And we pray, Father, that you would minister to us out of your grace. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews 11 sets before us what it means to live by faith by setting before us various examples from the Old Testament of what it means to live by faith. We've looked at a number of them already, of course, in the middle of the chapter here. Uh, with Abel, we saw what it means to worship in faith. Uh, with Enoch, we saw what it means to walk with God by faith. Uh, Noah, for example, shows us what it means to obey God in faith. Abraham shows us what it means to live by faith, seeing by faith things that were not yet, things that were unseen by physical eyes and yet seen by faith. Now, all of those, of course, are important examples. They wouldn't be here if they weren't. They have lessons to teach us. But all of those at least in terms of their circumstances, are pretty much things we can't literally do. For example, most of us probably are not going to build an immense ship, a vessel in our backyard. Uh, most of us aren't going to pick up and set out not knowing where we're going. 
there's there are lessons about faith to be learned for those from those things, but uh, most likely we're not going to take up a nomadic existence in another country. And so as much as we should drink in the spirit and follow the example of the faith of these men of faith, these heroes of faith from the Old Testament, the expression of that faith in our lives is going to be pretty different from theirs. Now, as we come to Moses, at one level that's true. We're not growing up in Egypt and living in Egypt um, and yet, what Moses did probably comes as close to what you and I experience here in the USA in the 21st century as any of them. Because you see, the kind of choices Moses makes here by faith are exactly the kinds of choices that you and I as Christians today must make as well in our walk with the Lord, if we're going to be uh, obedient and consistent Christians. But basically what we learn from Moses is by faith, we choose heavenly reward over earthly pleasure. We choose heavenly reward over earthly pleasure or earthly reward. Now, as we look at these passages, these verses that we've just read, it's interesting. The first one, verse 23, really has to do with the faith of Moses' parents. As we saw when we studied Exodus not too long ago, their willingness to put their son in this little uh, this little basket in the river, and you know providentially how he was found by Pharaoh's daughter and wound up being raised by Moses' own mother. And then the next number of verses, which I want us to concentrate on tonight, have to do more specifically with Moses himself. Uh, 27 does as well, leaving Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, perhaps his reference to going out to Midian, where he lived for 40 years. And of course, uh, in 28, uh, the, the Passover sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Uh, all the people, all the Egyptians, uh, or rather the Israelites, took part in that, but it was at Moses' instruction from the Lord. And so Moses was the one who... Uh, led Israel in that, and through his faith, uh, they were led in faith, and covered by the blood of the Lamb, they were protected. And of course, by faith, they crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land. You'll notice how gracious God is in this. Um, we read earlier of Sarah, her faith, of Abraham and his faith. But we know Abraham doubted. We know Sarah laughed. We know the people said, oh, no, Moses, have you brought us out here in the wilderness to die when they saw the chariots coming? But the reality is they did step out towards the Red Sea, now being cut uh, open so that they could pass through on dry ground. They're celebrated for their faith, and yet as we read about it, we recognize their faith wasn't perfect. It didn't preclude laughing or questioning or complaining and yet their faith is acknowledged. And so that's, that's encouraging because it's easy to read these things and say, well, we could never be like that. But the truth is, by God's grace, we can be. And especially in Moses' case, by faith, we can choose the rewards of heaven, of the Lord, over the rewards, the pleasures of this earth. And in some measure, that comes down to thinking in terms of delayed gratification. You know the principle uh, instant gratification would be you come into, say, $300, you spend it. Delayed gratification would be you invest it. And later you have uh, 
maybe much more money, maybe three thousand uh, dollars available to you uh, after taxes, of course. We think about that in terms of education. Uh, sometimes instead of going out and getting a job, we may go into education for the purpose of uh, maybe being trained and to do something we specifically want to do. It may take a while to get there, but we'd rather put, uh, get through school and do all that goes with that in order to get where we want to be. And in some ways, that's the dynamic that is here operating as well. And yet the parallel is not exact because the pleasures of this world uh, ultimately prove to be dust in our hands, and we need to recognize that. $300 in your hands now is, is something. You can spend it. It's good for something. Uh, ultimately, the pleasures of the world leave us, leave us cold, leave us empty. And so as we look at this passage, we want to look at Moses and his life. First thing I want us to think about is what Moses gave up. What Moses gave up. Think about it. Uh, Moses, to be part of Israel, to go with Israel, to lead Israel, gave up considerable worldly prestige. Look at uh, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was part of Pharaoh's household. He grew up there, grew up in the palace. He was, in fact, royalty. Um, you know, the, 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 the hoopla, the, the build-up to uh, Prince, the wedding of Prince William and Kate Middleton. You only have to see that to see the, the fascination, even the obsession some people have with the rich and famous, let alone royalty, um, was Moses was Moses chased by the paparazzi of Egypt? Uh, you know, when when Moses went by in his chariot, did people you know heads turn just to catch a glimpse of this prince from the royal household? You think about that. Uh, you can imagine that Moses uh, held quite a place in Egyptian society as a child of the palace, a young man growing up there. But when he grew up. He renounced that prestige, that worldly acclaim. He refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He also gave up worldly power. Same thing, growing up there in the, in the royal household, no, no doubt not only had prestige, but he also had considerable power, uh, power over common people, common Egyptians, power uh, in terms of influence with the royal court. Um, in fact, some even have speculated that if Moses uh, played his cards right, he might even himself have been Pharaoh one day. But he gave up this worldly power, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Gave up worldly pleasure. You think about what, uh, what Moses could have availed himself of in terms of the pleasures of Egypt, sensual, intellectual, uh, financial, all of these things that would be available for his, his for the taking, his to enjoy, growing up as he did in Egypt. And yet, when he grew up, he renounced that pleasure. Renounced worldly plenty. Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Egypt was a wealthy country. Egypt was a powerful country. Uh, this expression that is in verse 26, the treasures of Egypt, 
give some indication of the almost limitless wealth that would have been, and perhaps for a time was, at Moses' disposal. I remember being back in uh, grade school, maybe junior high, uh, I don't think high school, going to New Orleans, see the King Tut exhibit. Gold everywhere. You know, it may give you some idea of, of the, what is meant by this expression, treasures of Egypt. You, know, you look at the pyramids, the, there's just tombs that the pharaohs built for themselves, the kind of treasures that were contained in that. That was the environment in which Moses lived. He gave up worldly plenty, almost unimaginable wealth. Notice what he gave it up for. He gave it up for the reproach of Christ. You say, well, that's sort of anachronistic. Moses didn't know about Christ. Well, probably not. No, in terms of the sense that we know of him. And yet, uh, the writer to the Hebrews is looking at what Moses did through the lens of the new covenant. Moses, in his day, chose to be part of God's covenant people, chose to live by faith, chose to be righteous before God by his faith and his trust in God's promises, just as Abraham did. Abraham, the man who is the epitome of what it means to be justified by faith, as Paul uses him as an example of that. And so, no, while Moses didn't have the New Testament available to him, it was practically, though, the same as what it would be for you or me to live by faith. His relationship to God was based on grace through faith in the promises of God. And yes, ultimately, he was justified by the finished work of Christ, which happened in his case to be something yet future, whereas for us it's something in the past, but he considered he considered reproach for the sake of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Notice it didn't just say he was willing to put up with reproach of Christ with the reproach of Christ for something else. He said he considered that reproach itself greater treasure. Something more valuable than all the gold in all the tombs of all the pharaohs of Egypt. That it itself was wealth. It reminds you of the disciples in the book of Acts when they were arrested and beaten and told not to preach Christ, that they went out suffer they went out giving thanks that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. That itself was a treasure. And it's the same thing with Moses. He gave up worldly plenty. It was available to him, choosing rather the reproach of Christ. And you think of Moses and his reaction to those things. We have what we have in the book of Exodus. It doesn't say much about them, but you have to wonder if there weren't moments when that was a severe temptation to him, when he felt the pull of those things, the thing that the world runs after, fame, power, pleasure, riches, People who work themselves to the destruction of their health and the destruction of their families for these very things. They run over others. Some even kill people to get these things. They spend money. They don't have a lottery ticket hoping to get wealthy. They scheme. They plot. They dream. They lust for prestige, power, pleasure, plenty. People you know worship these things as their gods. 
They may not say that, they may not put it that way, but the reality is that's what governs, that's what directs their lives, that's where they're appointed. Moses had it all, grew up with it, but he walked away from it. Why? Well, before you answer that question, there's one other thing that we need to look at here. We need to consider what it was that Moses chose. What he gave up is amazing, but what he chose is equally amazing as we look at this passage. Just as Moses gave up that for which people often strive the most, Moses chose for himself what most people strive very uh, hard to avoid. Yet Moses chose it. What was it? Well, he chose for himself physical and mental hardship. He chose a hard life. Look at verse 25. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, Moses chose to leave the comforts of Egypt, come back to Egypt from Midian to identify with an enslaved, despised, broken people. Their lot was a hard one. They were being persecuted. They stood little chance of gaining relief from their oppressive labors, let alone freedom. The idea of a future homeland for this people was laughable. Humanly speaking, there was no future for them. There was nothing for them. And anybody who aligned himself with them had better be prepared to endure the same kinds of suffering deprivation, hardship that they did. And that's what Moses chose to do. And he also chose social disgrace, not just physical and mental hardship, but he chose social disgrace. Look at verse 26 again. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. Nobody likes to be the object of scorn, object of ridicule, the object of of, uh, laughter. And yet that's really what Moses chose. I mean, the the royal court knew Moses. People there in Egypt in high places knew Moses. And Moses became to them a laughingstock, a joke in his representing Israel, his going before the king, asking for them to to, to be released. That scandalized some people, mortified people. They probably thought of him as mad or at least foolish. What would you think of some upper-level executive living in Sugarloaf Country Club who decides to go down and live in a neighborhood next to the state pen down in Atlanta off Boulevard. Well, he did it. It's a ministry. You and I, as believers, may admire him for that. The fact is, most of the world would think he'd lost it, would think he had gone insane. And no doubt that's what people thought about Moses as well. He's out of his mind. So what did Moses choose? He chose physical and mental hardship. Moses chose social disgrace. But why? Why did he give up all of those things? Why did he choose these hard things? Well, let's look at the reason why he did that. Why would he do it? How can you account for this? How would you explain this kind of behavior? Well, the Bible tells us, gives us the answer. In fact, the answer is bound up in one word. Faith. Faith. Because of his faith, Moses saw things differently 
than did Pharaoh, than did Pharaoh's daughter, than did the royal family or even the upper crust of Egyptian society. Because of his faith, Moses refused what he refused, and he chose what he chose. Verse 26 tells us that Moses acted as he did, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. Now, I want you to think about something. You know, someone might look at Moses and say, well, that's admirable, you know, to make the sacrifices that he made. But was it really a sacrifice? Did he really sacrifice anything? Well, short term, maybe it was. Maybe it was a sacrifice. It would have been easy short term to continue on with Pharaoh and his household and the wealth and prestige of Egypt. But the fact is, in the long run, Moses gained far more than he lost. You see, by faith, Moses chose what was real. A reward now for a reward that was real, a reward that was solid, a reward that was lasting. Ultimately, Moses chose and he got exactly what he wanted. Is that a sacrifice? Not really. No. You see, Moses knew and he acted on the same principle that Jesus would teach to his disciples many, many years later. Mark chapter 10. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Boy, if that isn't what Moses got. Moses gained a people. He gained uh, what Jesus speaks of here. Brothers and sisters and mother, father, children. Lands, well, he got to see it from afar. He didn't go in for my sake and for the gospel. It was those things that he received with persecutions, which ironically sometimes came from the very people he had identified himself with, and in the age to come, eternal life. You see, rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, Moses chose to enjoy the pleasures of God forever. Now, Moses' position, to to have wealth, to have positions of influence, to be at a high level in society, is not sinful in and of itself. One thinks of those who have had those positions and those opportunities that come with them to do good. Think of William Wilberforce. British Parliament uh, and the good he he did in in abolishing the slave trade and and many others uh, uh, who uh, who used their position, their power, who used their means to accomplish uh, good things. Lady Huntington, who sponsored men like George Whitfield and John Wesley and others uh, for the preaching of the gospel in England. Uh, So those things aren't wrong in and of themselves. We need to recognize that for, for Moses' sake. Uh, and maybe Moses could have said, well, Lord, you know, if I stayed in good favor with Pharaoh, if I stayed part of the court, uh, if I kept my, uh, my, my trust fund, you know, I really could help your people kind of from a distance. But, you know, what influence, what power, what opportunity? Why would I, why would I give that up? Moses sort of cast the die himself when he killed the Egyptian who was attacking a Hebrew. Got things off on the wrong foot, but I'm sure if he tried, he could have patched that up, made things better, smoothed it over. 
Things could have continued on okay. We don't know. But one thing we do know, that wasn't the calling the Lord had for him. And so for Moses to do anything else than what he did would have been disobedience. You see, he wanted the pleasure of God, even if that meant the displeasure of Pharaoh. Now, I said as we were getting started that Moses' tests more closely resemble ours than others we have read about, looked at. Uh, Not the exact circumstances, but the kind of tests we face. Because you and I, while we may not quite be at the level of Egyptian royalty, we live in a culture and a society of considerable wealth. The world has a lot to offer in terms of power, in terms of prestige, in terms of wealth. Not for everybody. There are people who have nothing, have none of that around us and around the world. Uh, but for every one of us, that, that can be a real pull and a real opportunity. And so as we look at what Moses experienced, we find that his choice is our choice. The world or Christ. You choose the world or do you choose Christ? Some choose the world. Their reasoning is a bird in the hands worth two in the bush. I know what Jesus says. I know what the Bible teaches and all that. And I'll give lip service to it. But what I got here is real and solid, and I know I got it, rather than some vague, wispy, ethereal promise that may or may not be true in the future. There are a lot of people who fill the pews of churches, or the theater seats, or whatever churches have today, uh, who basically have that thinking. They may not acknowledge it. They may not put it that way. It may be just an unconscious thought in the back of their minds. Basically, they're hedging their bets. Yes, I'll confess Jesus. Yes, I'll say this. I'll read the Bible. I'll teach Sunday school, whatever. But in the back of my mind, I'm not so sure. I know what I've got here. I'm not sure what I may have or may not have there. So there are those who kind of hedge their bets. And basically, to do that is to choose the world. And others choose Christ. And the principle is the very same thing that Moses, the very same reason Moses chose the reproach of Christ here. They reason this way. God has promised an expressible glory and delight to those who are his through Christ. He can and he will keep his promise. He has told me and shown me that the way to glory is through the cross. That means suffering now, but certain glory and reward later that far surpasses any depth of suffering. Any depth of suffering I may endure here and certainly surpasses the fleeting, deceptive pleasures of sin. And so by faith, taking God at his word, I choose Christ. Can't have both. Can't have both. You know, First John 2.15 says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Can't choose both. Can't have both. I love both. Today on my dessert, I got both chocolate syrup and Cool Whip. With desserts, you often can't have both. Shouldn't, but you can. When it comes to Christ of the world, you can't have both. You can't have both. You can't pursue both. You can't live for both. Now, which do you choose? Well, remember a couple of things. One, remember that to be saved, you must make the choice Moses saved. You must choose Christ over the world. Now, we still live in the world, in the world, but not of it. 
function here but don't belong to it, live here but are not captivated, controlled, enslaved by it. And so you have to choose to follow a Savior that the world despises. You have to choose to identify yourself with a people that the world despises. You must be willing to put all you are and all you have at Christ's disposal. You must be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him to Golgotha. You must choose whom you will serve, God or money. This is what Jesus said, Luke 14. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. Jesus wants all of you or none of you. Many want glory without the cross. They want the wages without the work, the harvest without the labor, the reaping without the sowing, victory without the battle. That cannot be. The bitter must go before the sweet. Without the cross, there is no crown. Second thing to think about. Remember that nothing will enable you to choose Christ over the world except faith. Nothing else. You must have a real, heartfelt belief, confidence that God's promises are sure. The things you cannot see with your physical eyes, like Abraham, you see with the eyes of faith. You must believe deeply that the Bible is true, that the gospel of Christ is real. You must have a deep-seated conviction, as did Moses, that though Christ's words at times are hard, He alone has the words of eternal life. He alone has the words of eternal life. Now, the cross is only half the story, of course. Only half the story. Those who follow the way of the cross, there awaits a crown. Like Moses, we gain so much more than we lose that the word sacrifice really doesn't even seem to apply, both in this world and certainly in the world to come. And so, as Paul puts it, we count all things loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. Anything that hinders your walk with him is a loss to you. It may be a good thing. It may be a nice thing. It may be a desirable thing. But it is a loss to you if it comes between you and the Lord Jesus. Prestige, power, pleasure, plenty, For the Christian, those things cannot hold a candle. The delight of knowing Christ, serving Christ, walking with Christ, and the glory that he will give to us. And so do you have this faith? Do you have the faith that Moses had, the faith to choose, the faith to choose Christ over the world? Think about it. The treasures of Egypt, such as they were in Moses' day, have been scattered, plundered, or reduced to dust. Pharaoh, his palace, his household, his court, are no more. Haven't been around for a very long time. Because of his faith. Because of the choice that he made, 
Moses is even at this moment enjoying his satisfying eternal reward with Christ in glory. Savior, if of Zion's city I through grace a member am, let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys, lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Let's pray. Father, impress upon us the reality of that, because we see so much around us. Lord, I pray that the eyes of my heart, the eyes of my brothers and sisters here, would have a sharper acuity than the eyes in our heads, that we would see far greater treasure in Christ, and even in suffering for Christ's name and for his sake, than all of the treasure this world affords. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you give us in this world, Lord, for money to live on and food to eat and ice houses to live in and good jobs to pursue and all of these things that are around us. But Lord, may they not capture capture our hearts. Father, may we not lose sight of the real treasure, Christ himself, and all that he has in store for us in this life and in the world to come. Give us, Lord, in other words, the faith your servant Moses had. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.